Sustainability, that's the topic on uh, everybody's lips at the moment. And no matter where you look, you'll find some form of sustainability goal, sustainability rule to target and to follow. I'm Mark Lowdy here with Simon Littlewood. And at Riabu, where we're always talking about small to medium enterprises getting paid on time, we're going to look at uh, where sustainability should be in your list of priorities. And for multinational companies, what would make a real difference to your sustainability record? So sustainability is, of course, an important issue, whether you're talking about child slavery, trafficking of people, right down to environmental issues and how many uh, tons of carbon your business emits every year. But for SMEs, of course, the pressures are all the greater. 97% of all enterprises in ASEAN are SMEs, so virtually all companies except for a small minority. About 7 in 10 people in ASEAN are employed by SMEs. SMEs account for two-fifths of economic output. So if they're on the sustainability bandwagon, Simon, that could make a big difference. But to be frank, as an SME, do you really have time, let alone the energy and the resources, to be pursuing all of the sustainability targets that are out there? I mean, first of all, clearly it's a challenge because an SME, by its very definition, is a small or a medium-sized enterprise. In fact, the vast majority of SMEs, by number, are very small indeed. Mm. They're mum and pop shops with just a few people employed. You have enough to do just paying the electricity bill without having 17 UN sustainability goals to have to pursue. So I do worry about this. I think we all want to ensure that our planet home is well looked after, but don't we also want to see that the human race thrives? We hear stories about it would be better if there were 4 billion of us rather than 7 billion, but unless you're actually going to put that policy into effect, God forbid, let's focus on actually creating an environment where human beings can thrive and the planet can provide us with a sustainable living. So on this question, as you've said, Mark, 70% of employment comes from SMEs. If SMEs can't pay their employees, and all of those people are either forced to go on the state in countries that have that kind of support, or in the case of most of Asia, not well, they have, don't have that support. Well, they yes. don't have that support, not have any money, money at all. How is that in any way positive? So I think this needs to be balanced. And a more interesting consideration, if you're a large company and you're proclaiming the fact that you're embracing the 17 sustainability goals of the UN would be this. Are you treating your SME suppliers, of whom you may well have many, in such a way as to ensure their continued existence? Are you helping the people who run SMEs and their families to thrive? Or are you, on the one hand, proclaiming the fact that you love sustainability and, on the other, progressively withholding cash from SMEs so that human beings are struggling? The ultimate sustainability question, the sustainability of SMEs. So let's take it to the SME level first and then touch more on the MNCs. As an SME, you're probably also feeling the pressure that when you're walking into a customer meeting with an MNC, you know, they've got the ISO 14,000 certificate and the ISO whatever else certificate hanging up on the wall. I mean, the pressure is on you these days to make sure that you meet the same standards that the MNC customer does. So that's a difficult position for an SME to be in because the MNC customer can hire a number of consultants, people like you, Simon, <laughs> to, <I wish laughs> to, to meet all these uh, requirements. SMEs don't have those resources. No, they don't. Um, those scalable resources are being provided by governments in some cases. I think it's putting the cart before the horse. Human survival first. Okay, that's absolutely critical. And 
a lot of these things are totally unrealistic if you're an SME and you actually look at what's required in these objectives. I think there's something else, really. The very large emitters of carbon are, for the most part, very substantial enterprises. And I think we know that, you know. The large uh, electricity producers, you mean? or Huge airlines, energy manufacturers, power producers, shipping lines, sectors that have massive scale, you know. Even woke companies like Amazon, because they're moving stuff all the way around the world on ships and trucks and aeroplanes all the time, are emitting massive amounts of carbon. So they have, by based on scale, they have the ability to control carbon much more than small and medium-sized enterprises. But in many ways, they have less at stake because they have a broader margin to survive on it. We talked previously, Mark, at the beginning of the, and during the COVID crisis about the fact that most SMEs worldwide, and that would include ASEAN, have only one or two months of working capital cushion at the very best to survive. So you've only got to squeeze them a bit and they're in very serious trouble. They either become overborrowed or they simply stop working. And in Singapore, there are lots of SMEs that have had to shut down altogether. That's not a good thing. We don't want that. Let's focus on that immediate problem rather than on some of the longer term issues. Because if people aren't thriving today, then that's not a very good solution for the economy or for anything. Yeah. Okay. So the MNCs, which are the ones who are instituting, again, uh, child slavery policies and human trafficking policies, of course, mm. no doubt they are important. But what sort of sustainability policies would you like them to adopt? Well, you know, we, we get into difficulty when we have these conversations, Mark, because let's be clear, these policies are not created by MNCs, they're created by governments, okay, who create regulations, and governments favour MNCs because MNCs have close relationships with governments and SMEs simply don't, yeah. So there's an argument here that SMEs are vulnerable because they don't count for quite so much in the political domain. And if you look at one of the things we did when we set up Riabu, be first in line to get paid, especially if you're an SME. And one of the first things we did, Mark, as you can probably remember, is we wrote a white paper which looked at the trends in payment varying across the size of companies. So what we found was that over years, worldwide and in Asia, MNCs were generating optimum cash flow. In other words, they were delaying payments to their suppliers and getting their customers to pay them faster so that you had a net reduction in working capital for the very large companies. And the further you went down the totem pole, when you got to small companies, what you saw were small companies are finding that they have to pay their suppliers promptly, and it's taking them longer and longer and longer to get paid. What is this? It's asymmetrical warfare, is what it is. Is You've got massive market share. You've got the ability not just to command a large volume of purchases and sales, You've also got plenty of politicians who are prepared to listen to your concerns, right? So you've got a situation where SMEs are being squeezed. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think SME, well, Mark, I think we know the answer to you that. You and I, between but, us, you know, have started and sold and run and continue to run a number of SMEs. We would like to be treated fairly, please. However, if the link between government and MNCs was so strong, then wouldn't the MNCs get their way? with government not implementing more and more regulations? Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it depends how you... We're getting into a tricky area there because there are certain other things associated with aggressively implementing sustainability. There are huge sums of public money being spent on investments of one kind or another designed to support sustainability because we're in a crisis, quote-unquote. The article that 
that we've read, which sort of got us on this topic in the first place, suggests, as so many other articles have suggested over the last 30 years, that we're in imminent danger of planetary collapse. But the point you made was that MNCs are at an advantage because they have connections to government that SMEs don't. Mm. And they have market share, which gives them power when it comes to... Sure, but, but your point also was that it's the government, it's the politicians that make these sustainability rules for MNCs to follow. My point is that if the MNCs really did have so much sway with politicians, the politicians wouldn't be doing that. Well, I don't think the MNCs mind because they're not disadvantaged. The MNCs aren't disadvantaged by this. They're advantaged by it at the end of the day. How? Um, because they get to pick who they do business with. They get to demand certain kinds of behavior from their suppliers and their customers. Yeah. They continue, in fact, to exert more and more power on people north of them and south of them in the supply chain, aided by government. Yeah. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. I'm not sure about the basic data that supports this. What I do know is that many SMEs are already in deep trouble, just, just leaving the ESG sustainability thing to one side. SMEs in Singapore and the region are, are already in massive trouble as a result of what's happened in COVID. They've had sales collapse. They've had working capital and cash flow collapse. Well, and the governments have stepped in to help. Them, they have, although that's tapering off now. In, indeed, has been tapering off. We're seeing economies bounce back very strongly. Employment seems to be up. But the core issue of getting paid on time so that we get away from the one to two months of, large uh, of working capital don't, don't, hasn't been addressed. Large companies don't perceive it as being advantageous to play their suppliers promptly. In fact, what's happened, over, certainly over the years that I've been in business, is that the importance that analysts who value stocks, in essence, or are very influential in the valuing of stocks, constantly talk about is free cash flow. So companies that, because of their weight, size, scale, are able to progressively squeeze more free cash out of their business operations, see their share prices go up and up and up. At the same time, the other thing that's happened is that increasingly, C-level remuneration has included a substantial element of share-related earnings, whether they're actual shares or whether they're options. So you have this, basically, this machine that's designed to, to feed more cash into MNCs to make them richer. And governments, by and large, support that. You know, SMEs are playing on a very sticky wicket. And I'm not sure that short-term funding has really hit. So that's a cricket. In yes, sticky wicket. Begin, sticky wicket. So there is, you are. Is that a dessert? <laughs> sticky wicket. So there you are with your bat. The ground is rather soft and you've got a very aggressive bowler coming at you. Right. So, oh, that's a sticky wicket. Yes. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> thanks for the clarification. So, but, but free cash isn't free, the definition of free cash. The amount of money you have left over after you've paid all your suppliers. Well, free cash is, is, is what you generate during the course of a month or a year in a business. So it's, the, it's not the profit. It's the actual additional cash that you have in the bank. After suppliers, isn't it? Um, well, it's, it's, it's a net of everything. It's a net of your investment in inventories, your receivables, and your investment. But the reality is that, as we've said, because we did the research, remember, we did, we did it not for one year, but two years, is what's happening is the amount of free cash flow that big companies throw off is increasing. The amount of cash flow that small companies throw off, although they're not normally measured like that because they're not normally listed, mm. is not. In fact, the very opposite is happening. A higher and higher percentage of the cash that's generated by small businesses is going simply to sustain business operations. And in the last year or two years, many SMEs got past the point where they were actually generating any cash, and they took a decision to hang on, in many cases only because they were getting government support. You know, I don't want to be negative because one thing about SMEs is they're very resilient. They come and they go in enormous numbers all the time. 
if you're in any doubt about that, look at retail streets where there are shops and restaurants. Look at how frequently the restaurants close, but new ones open up in their space. So all is not doom and gloom, but there is a fundamental problem with equity here. People love to talk about equity these days. But if the big guys are getting richer and the small guys are getting poorer because of structural things that are being done, this is not equitable. And it's not in the interests of you or I, it's not in the interests of anyone to squeeze SMEs in this way. So that's precisely why we uh, found a, a pledge to pay where large companies can pledge to actually do the right thing by their SMEs. Yes, suppliers. we do. But we, we have a conundrum, Mark, which is that more and more SMEs are going to require to play the ESG game. Whether you like it or you don't like it, what's happening is that major institutional investors are only prepared to put their funds in listed counters where those companies sign up to detailed ESG commitments. And it, one of those commitments is that they make all their suppliers and customers sign up to the same commitments. So we're looking at a situation where, as you said at the very beginning, quite correctly, a situation of increasing and troublesome complexity for SMEs who are already struggling to make ends meet. So we're cutting through all this and we're saying, hey, when it comes right down to it, there is a, a serious social interest in ensuring that SMEs survive, never mind all the other stuff. Because if they don't, that's a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe for employment. It's a catastrophe for people being able to eat and thrive. So we need a commitment from multinationals that they will pay SMEs in a specified period of time. We started Pledge to Pay in Singapore. The Australian government's been quite active in doing this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The UK government did the same thing. Of course, there are issues in terms of executing this because multinationals don't really want to pay their suppliers quicker. They want to collect big dividends from shares, right? Well, and they, they want the analysts to write favorable buy reports on the strength of their free cash flow. So I think it's a bit of a diversion. Ticking ESG boxes, that's great. But at the end of the day, we want SMEs to thrive. Riabu is about fairness to SMEs. Too few people fight for SMEs. We're fighting for the SME here in Singapore, all the way around the region. Treat those SMEs like gold because they are gold. They employ most people. And one thing you need to do if you're a large company is to pay them on time. Let's say they did that. What would the analysts then say about the, well, the faster cash throughput, shall we call it that? In other words, money going out actually faster than it had been in the From past. From the MNCs. Yes, because the analysts will, of course, look at a, a reduction in the amount of well, cash. Well, this is troublesome. And as you know, this is something we've been looking at very hard over the last couple of months is on the face of it, because shareholder sentiment is driven buy profitability, free cash flow, EBITDA, this would have a damaging effect on MNC um, share price. So we have a problem. We need to achieve a balance. And, uh, you know, one of the ways potentially that this could be done is by basically reputation. It's shaming, in other words, sentiment. that's what you're saying. Well, re reputation, when we talk about things, you talked about slavery and all those kind of things, the biggest risk is reputational loss. That's an unusually big, it didn't used to be really an issue. Now it's a, with social media, it's a huge issue. Mm. If the wrong story gets out about a large company, people will boycott its products. We've seen this everywhere, not just for retail companies, mm. but for bigger companies as well. Maybe we need a little bit of that, but focused in the right direction. We need there to be a broad sentiment in support of SMEs. The odds are somewhat stacked against that, but I'm an optimist. And I think, you know, fair's fair. So the analysts who you've uh, talked about are actually part of the problem, are they not? That on the one hand, they're calling for perhaps uh, showing great interest in companies following these uh, ESG guidelines. 
perhaps rating up or down, depending on how the yeah. MNC is faring, but at the same time, still holding on to uh, financial metrics, which actually make being an SME unsustainable. Well, they think that ticking the ESG box has a positive effect on share price. And there's no downside to big companies because it's, I'm sorry, but it's very easy if you're a multi-billion dollar enterprise to appoint an ESG vice president and, and throw you know a few million dollars a year of budget at him or her. And again, I apologize if I'm sounding cynical, but there are other problems with ESG. I chair quite a few business groups in Singapore. And one of the things that comes up again and again and again is we get what we're being asked to do, but what specifically should we be doing in our businesses and how do we measure it and how much is it going to cost? People don't actually understand that. To them, to many, many businesses, and the smaller the businesses, the more likely this is to be true, it's kind of a governmental word salad. And they don't really know what on earth they're supposed to do. You know, It's not evident to a guy running a 10-man logistics operation in Jurong, which is the business area of Singapore. It's not evident to him how he's going to reduce climate change in his operations today. What is evident to him is that if he doesn't get paid on time, he can't pay his staff next month and they can't pay their mortgages or feed their families. That's evident. And that's actually pretty important, I reckon, in the scheme of things. So you've uh, also pointed out, and, and correctly so, that the that the SMEs are an important part of the economy and ought to be looked after. 70% of employment, depending on which market you're in, about half of economic output. But given the fact that SMEs do have such a large dominance in the economy, don't they also have a role to play in sustainability? They simply don't have to. I'm not arguing that we should all be responsible citizens. Well, you're I'm, not. No, of course I'm not. I mean, I ride a bicycle, oh, as very you good. well know. I live in a walk-up apartment, no lift. Right. I travel by bicycle or, or electric buses. There are Volvo electric buses in Singapore. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we should be responsible custodians of the planet. But the notion that we should do that over the thick bodies of SME owners, that means wasting away from thinness of SME owners, is not an image that I favour. Okay, So I think we have to recognise that MNCs have way disproportionate impact on all governments in the world, even in China, you know, the big state-owned enterprises, certainly in North America, certainly in Europe. These huge enterprises, many of which are quasi-state enterprises, have huge influence over government policy. SMEs do not. And yet SMEs are absolutely critical. They should be allowed to thrive with a minimum of interference. So SMEs should uh, play their role, but proportionate to their influence and prioritize behind getting paid on. Rather than threatening them with what looks like, I mean, just for those of you who don't know, the UN has set out 17 sustainability criteria to be followed by commercial enterprises around the world. Nobody can follow 17. I don't think the emphasis is on 17. The emphasis is on doing those that you can. But again, it's very hard as an SME owner to be pursuing some of these things when, when you're just trying to keep the lights I don't on. think an SME owner has the ability to, to distill the possibilities, the potentialities of 17 different areas of sustainability. Each one has a set of activities and economics entirely its own and figure out which one's going to work best. I think there's a real issue there. I ask those I know and respect who understand ESG to help me clarify for myself and other SMEs precisely what it is that small enterprises can realistically do to tick those ESG boxes. But I think it's problematic because I think the way things are currently structured is very easy. It's too easy for them to be criticized for not doing something.
because there's too many somethings on the menu. Yeah. Psychologists tell us we can only really focus on two or three things. So of those 17 goals, and I'm sorry to stop going on about them, maybe two, maybe three, you know, but where we are at the moment is the balance is wrong. Let's get the equilibrium back to where it should be. Let's show that we care about small enterprises. Let's show that we care about people first, because what's the point in saving the planet if people aren't eat? So let's end then where we started, which is with the SMEs. Now, one of the lessons, if you've been following Riabu for a while, is the fact that when you're not getting paid on time, you have, well, you have some control, probably more than you think. And that control rests on the assumption that actually there's something that you could have or should have done more or less of during the transaction with the customer that would get you paid on time. In other words, if your customer is not paying you on time, there's a good chance part of it is your fault. Yes. So can we then say that if SMEs were better about the way they approach receivables, starting with talking about getting paid on time before you've even done the transaction, not after yes. the invoices are already overdue, that perhaps SMEs themselves need to focus more on their own sustainability, which would might that's, then give them some That's absolutely room. true, because the request is not you should pay everyone willy-nilly in 30 days or whatever it is, but you should pay all accurate or undisputed invoices within a period of 30 days or whatever the agreement is. But yes, it's incumbent upon a supplier to make sure that he has a robust and accurate transaction. And if you want to know about the things that as an SME, you should be thinking about to put you in that spot, then read our book that Mark and I wrote to help SMEs called Let the Cash Flow, which lays out eight things that you can do differently or incrementally to ensure that you take away all the opportunities that your customers have to pay you late so that it then comes down to a matter of policy and you then so build your relationship with your customer that you become the one that they pay on time, be first in time, time to get paid. There is a broader challenge, which is the policy of large companies is very clearly the evidence is, evidence is overwhelming, is to try and pay their suppliers more and more slowly in order to maximize their share price. The way to, to be least disadvantaged by that clear policy is to get your ducks in a row, follow the eight principles of the virtuous revenue cycle, and be first in line to get paid. It makes a huge difference. I've seen it over and over again in Asia in the last 30 years. Read the book, go to riabu.com, and if you have any questions, we'd be happy to answer them. There you go, riabu.com. Also go to pledge to pay. That's to the number to pledge to pay.com. And uh, you'll find Let the Cash Flow by Simon of the Wood and Mark Laudy on Amazon.com. <laughs>